You're listening to a message from Victory Christian Center in Farmer City, Illinois. For more information on Victory, please contact us at bccfarmercity.org. Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. We're going to continue in the series we've been talking about being led by the Spirit of God. If you brought your Bible, open it to Romans chapter 8. That is our our text for this morning. We're going to go through Romans chapter 8. It's not the only place, but it is one of my favorite on this topic. It is just... One big long passage talking about our life in God and what it looks like to be a spirit-led life and to be following the Holy Ghost. So that's where we're going to go this morning. Let's jump right into the beginning. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, I've said this before, but I'm going to pause for just a moment to say this verse is written to the church. Now, I I can generically tell you the entire book of Romans is written to the church. And uh, he said that when he opened the letter. He was writing to the church at Rome. And his audience is Christians. Um, But the other reason I really kind of say that is there are some who go backwards, for just from where we are, they're not going backwards, but in chapter 7, there's that whole passage where the Apostle Paul describes the struggle of wanting to do the right thing and then find yourself doing the wrong thing. And I've heard some teach that, well, that chapter 7 is a picture of of the unsaved, and then chapter 8 is the picture of being born again. And and they say that verse 1 there is telling you, you need to be born again. And I've said before, and I'll say again, I don't see it that way. When I look at chapter 7, and I see that struggle of knowing the right thing, but find yourself doing the wrong thing, I had that struggle as a Christian. Being born again didn't end that struggle for me. There's still processes of growing up. And when I look at chapter 7, I'm like, no, he's still talking to the church. That's a young Christian. Um, To be scripturally accurate, that's a carnal Christian. They're born again, but they still got flesh to deal with. They still got flesh to get under control, which is a lot of what he's talking about. And so when we cross into chapter 8, we were already saved. I don't see salvation in verse 8. What I see is a Christian who either A, is walking according to the flesh, or B, they're walking according to the Spirit. There are Christians right now, children of God, love God, going to heaven when they when this body fails them, when they die. I'm not saying they're not saved, but at the same time in this life right now, we have Christians who walk according to the flesh. And we have Christians who walk according to the Spirit. And he's telling us, uh, walk according to the Spirit. And so that's what he's talking about in this passage. Pick it up in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. But who's us? Who do not walk according to the flesh. But according to the spirit. Now I won't dally much here, but I'm going to point something out. Notice the phrase there in Romans chapter, in verse 4, or in chapter 8. Verse 4, he, he called it the righteous requirement of 
of the law. Now, the law, of course, would be the Old Covenant. That's usually referred to the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the Old Covenant. And he says there was a righteous requirement in that law. Now, I've heard, I've heard, you've not heard out of this pulpit, but I've heard teaching in a lot of places today, and I've heard it out of people's mouths, and they'll say things like, well, we're not under the law. I'm under grace. But then what they mean by that is, I don't have to pay attention to all those things in the Old Testament. I can live how I want to. And they use that as a license to do just that. Live how they want to. Well, he didn't say that when you got born again because of Jesus' work at Calvary, that now you can just get rid of the law. What did he say? The righteous requirement of the law now can be fulfilled in you. He's not saying we did away with it. What he's saying is, if you'll learn to follow the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, you'll end up keeping the law, even if you've not read it. He'll just lead you down that path and you'll end up fulfilling it. Maybe you didn't even realize. Not because you spent countless hours studying the law of Moses. Rather, because you've learned to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. He is not going to lead you back into a life of sin. Which is what some are trying to do. They're trying to justify their lifestyle by saying, well, we're not under the law anymore. That's Old Testament. We're not in that bondage anymore. Well... He said if you'll follow the Holy Spirit on the inside, he'll still lead you in a path that will fulfill. There is a righteous requirement with God. Or can I say this way? A requirement to be right, to live right, to walk right, to have enough of him in you that you're like him. So he didn't do away with it. He just found a better way to fulfill it. Because he said even in the Old Covenant, it was a struggle. Why? Because of sinful flesh. So now he's introducing a better way. And what's that better way? Follow the Spirit on the inside of you. He'll lead you in the way you need to go. So look at verse 5. We're getting into the meat and potatoes. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. Now I'm going to I'm going to insert, what's he implying? And I often read it this way because it's implied. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. He's contrasting the two. There are those who walk in the flesh. There are those who walk in the Spirit. So let's pause for a moment. What does it mean then to walk in the Spirit? Because there are some, and I'm sure we would all like to sit around and say, well, yeah, it's some of those Christians in other churches. And I would dare say, oh, I bet we've done a little bit of this our own selves. We like to spectacularize the Spirit. We like to spectacularize walking in the Spirit. And so many times, because we're seeing it in Scripture, we're not inventing things. You can look in Scripture and see the account of when Peter fell into a trance. And we go, ooh, what was that like? And we can read all kinds of accounts of New Testament Christians who had a vision, maybe of Peter in the blanket, or Ananias, or there, a whole variety, lots of them. There's all kind. Read the book of Acts sometime. 
How many times did an angel show up? And that's not just the book of Acts, but it's it's cover to cover, actually. There's angels in Genesis, there's angels in Revelation, and they're all the way in between. And so sometimes, and, and in fact, there's both Old and New Testament examples of people who got a what I call a heaven experience, where they got to see heaven beforehand. Um, John did. He wrote about it in the book of Revelation. The Apostle Paul did. He wrote about it in 2 Corinthians 14. There are others. So sometimes when we think about walking in the Spirit, we, we kind of start thinking about the spectacular things. And every one of those, 100% scriptural. I mean, we got scriptural examples. But in this, this whole passage of Romans chapter 8, he's talking about daily life. Walking with God every day. And even all of those spectacular things that are in our Bible, we would really have to stretch things to say that was a daily experience for those Christians, whether it be in the book of Acts or in the Old Testament. Can those things happen? Yeah. Does it happen every day? I don't see it in the Scripture. And so I really don't know that we would see that for us necessarily, so I'm not discounting them, but I'm saying... I don't think that's what he's talking about in this chapter. Because he's talking about daily life. This is the way we walk. This is our experience. And so I think what he's talking about is 100% spiritual. But I don't think it's spectacular. I do think, and I'll clarify my word, I do believe it's supernatural. Why? Because it's not natural. It's other than natural. It's beyond natural. What? It's out of your spirit. But let's not spectacularize it. Dare I say? Mundane? I'm not comfortable using that word with the Holy Spirit, so no. But it's not flashy angels showing up saying, I have a message from heaven. I am Gabriel or whoever, you know. God would have you. And No, no, no. I'm not saying that can happen, but I don't see that as, even scripturally, I don't see that as an everyday thing. And what he's talking about here is everyday life. So let's put spectacular on the shelf for a moment and say, well, then what's he talking about? What's going on here? <laughs> I have it in my notes. You can't live your life in a trance all day. <laughs> you wouldn't function. That just wouldn't work. So anyway, what's he talking about? Let's go to verse 5. Say it again. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the implied thing is they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So the deciding factor sure looks to be what are you doing with your mind? What are you setting your mind on? Where's your mind spend most of its time operating? Well, let's dig a little deeper. That, that phrase there, set your mind. So I looked that up in the Strong's Concordance, and it says it means this, to think about, to uh, direct one's mind to a thing, uh, to seek one's interest or advantage is all included in that phrase. So are you mindful or spending the bulk of your mindful time thinking about natural things or spiritual things? Um, are you seeking the interest and advantage of natural things 
or spiritual things. Well, let's dig deeper. So I, that was Strong's Concordance. Then I got out another one I, I love using, which is the Complete Word Study Dictionary. So I looked it up in there. And it says, to set your mind means to think, to have a mindset, to be minded. It says, the activity represented by this word involves the will, the affections, and the, the conscience. So in that respect, are your choices... Are your decisions, are your affections primarily on natural things? Or are they on spiritual things? Because he says where we set our mind is going to take us one way or the other. It's kind of like your mind is a bridge and it's going to connect two things. And I think of it this way. Um, you have two sources of information coming into you. One is coming from this natural realm. And you have a natural body with five physical senses. And they are supplying you with stimuli and information all day long. And so through what you see, hear, smell, taste, touch, you're bringing in information all day long. And most of the time we take that information, we analyze and process with our mind, we make decisions and we live life. Right? Now he's saying there's another source of information coming to you. And that's through your spirit, not your body. Now, I was, I was thinking about that a little bit, and I thought, it's kind of like, I started to say a sixth sense, and it didn't rub me right. And so I'm, I'm just kind of started chewing on it a little bit. And I'm like, because it's, it's different than your five senses, and it's a different source of information. But then I got to thinking about it, it's coming out of your spirit, man. And your spirit, man, is not limited to one sense. At a minimum, your spirit has the same five senses your body does. Your spirit has eyesight. Your spirit, spirit has hearing. I can take you to... I'm not going to do it this morning. I'm not going to take the time. I can take you to different passages of Scripture which show you the same five senses but in the spirit realm. I'll just give you one real quick one. I mentioned a minute ago that, that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 14, 12. There's not 14 chapters in 2 Corinthians. I think it's chapter 12. You can check me out. But he's talked about when he had a heaven experience, when he went to heaven. But it was interesting what he said. He kept saying, whether in my body or out of my body, I don't know. He said that two or three times. He said, I went to heaven, but I don't know if my body was there or not. He said, I don't know if God took my entire body and brought me to heaven, or if it was a what we would call out-of-body experience, where my body stayed where it was, and he took me to heaven, had an experience, and then shoved me back. He says, I don't know which way it was. And that kind of leads me to believe, if your spirit only had one sense and not five, you'd know pretty quick when the other four uh, stopped. If God pulled you out of your body and now you're spirit only and all you can do is see and not hear, you'd notice something. But he couldn't tell. So that tells me even in heaven he had all the same five senses being fed into him. Make sense? Could there be more? I don't know. I don't have scripture for more, so I won't go there. But you have at least the same five because he said, I don't even know if my body is with me or not. Couldn't tell. Tells me the two experiences must be pretty similar. Must seem very much alike if you can't tell if you're in it or not. 
So that being said, you have a whole other source of information from your spirit, man, that would be very similar. But yet it's coming from a different source. So now back to this whole our mind getting involved, our will getting involved, our decision-making process getting involved, a spirit-minded person is not dictating their decisions on natural input alone. Does that make sense? A spirit-minded person is also aware of their own spirit and of input from the Holy Spirit through your Human spirit. I, I go back to Proverbs 3, and I do it a lot, so you're probably very familiar with this verse, because I, I, I mention this often. But Proverbs 3, chapter 5, he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. So he just divided your inner man in, in that verse. Because in the inside of you, in your inner man, you are a spirit and you are a soul. But he just divided the two. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Your, your personality, your, your imaginations, that's all in your mind. And he just said, uh, don't lean on that alone. Right now, I'm adding the word alone. He said, don't lean on your understanding. What do you say? Trust in your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding. So there's a second source on the inside of you other than your mind other than your understanding. In the next verse, in all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. So by not leaning on everything we can figure out with our noggin and by learning to draw input from our spirit, we get direction. And He directs our path. Now, He said the key was acknowledge Him. Okay, in how many of your ways? Not just at church on Sunday. Not just when you have a major life decision to make and you have got to hear from God so you know which way to go because it's going to, it's, you know, those big life choices that are going to have impact and repercussions all through more than just you probably. It may affect your family, may affect extended family, may have all kinds of big decisions. And those are times we know I've got to get before God and I've got to make the right decision. Well, those are included, but that's not what he said. In all your ways. Even the little ones. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. But then in the same, same context, He said, but don't look for that direction in your mind. Where is it coming from? Your spirit. Now, what's that word acknowledge mean? That's it, a complex Hebrew word. Um, it means to know, to observe, to recognize, to be aware of. To discern and comprehend and perceive. All this is coming out of Greek dictionaries. I mean Hebrew dictionaries. <laughs> I will clarify. All of this is coming out of the complete word study dictionary. I put it in my notes. Here's where I got this. It means to consider. Acknowledging him means to know by experience. There are some Christians that know a lot about God. But they don't really know a lot by experience. It also means to know intimately. What would be the opposite of that? To know God from afar? To know Him casually? He says, no, we need to know Him intimately. Now I jump to a, a third dictionary, Vines Expository Dictionary. 
puts it this way. It means to know by observing and reflecting, to know by experiencing. That's an intimate knowledge. And that's all of those are wrapped up in that word. Acknowledge him. Know him. Experience him. So in all of our ways, in all of our decisions, in all of our choices, we need to observe him, know him. Can I say, consider him. So what's his take on this decision I'm about to make? Here's kind of what I'm getting at. So much of our life, we bring in the natural input, we process with our mind, we make a decision, and we drive on with a whole lot of what we do at work, at home, just in so many avenues of life. And we never even took a smallest moment of time to go down on the inside and just check. Lord, would you have any input on this? Would you have anything to say about this? We don't even consider him. We just make decisions and drive on. And I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not flipping 100% the other way where I don't take any natural input. I only follow my spirit. I'm not saying that at all. He gave you the five physical senses and he gave you your brain. And your brain is an amazing organ that he has put in your body. We, we can talk about that a while. It's one of the most complex organs. Well, maybe one of the most complex things he's ever made. I don't know. We are still learning so much about the human brain and barely scratching the surface of what it's capable of. <laughs> it's amazing. You are far more able than you realize. And I say that naturally. We don't scratch the surface of what your brain's capable of. So I'm not telling you don't use it. He gave you a brain. I'm saying include your spirit in that process. You Use your natural input. Use your brain. But then take a moment and check the inside and see if your spirit has anything to add to the situation. In a lot of the little things of life, it seems like experience-wise... You're going to check the inside and there'll be just a a check and okay, keep going. And when input from the inside and input from the outside is in agreement, (laughs) life is good. Drive on. You're doing well. But what happens then in that once in a while, and I don't know how often it is for you, but that once in a while when you took all the input, you analyzed the situation, you kind of know what's going on, you used your brain, maybe you've been in this situation before, then you realize, all right, path A is the way to go. But let's just take just a moment, and you check the inside, and all of a sudden on the inside, path B is coming up. And you're looking at path B going, I don't look right. I don't think that's the logical choice. I don't uh, Maybe, I, I don't know. Path A sure looks better to me. But so you check again. Now on the inside, man, it's path B. Now what are you going to do? This connects to something we've already talked about. Do you realize then if you just power through and you stay with path A because that makes the most sense to your mind. And I've been here before. I took path A last time. It worked out pretty good. That's actually stepping into pride. 
you're thinking, I don't need input from God on this. I got it. I've been here before. I know how to handle this situation. I've done this several times. Path A is the way to go. It's actually an act of humility to say, well, you know what, God? It sure seems to my understanding that path A is the way to go. But I can tell you're telling me path B. I don't understand why you're telling me that. You must be seeing something I don't see. There must be something different about the situation that that I, I have not figured out yet. But you know what? I trust you. And I'm going to follow you. And let's take path B. That's actually an act of humility. It's hard on the flesh. But it's an act of humility. You're acknowledging, God, you're bigger than me. You know more than me. And it doesn't make sense to my understanding in this moment. But I'm going to trust you. Now, I would like to say that at some point as you're going down path B, you're going to see something he was seeing that you weren't. You'll figure something out and you'll see, oh, that's why he sent me this way. Oh, God, you're so good. Now, I don't know if that he always does that, but often. And you'll figure out, oh, because then what will that do? That's going to even strengthen your faith a little more. And next time you get at a crossroad, trusting him is going to be a little easier. Of course, then sometimes the decisions get bigger. And you need to have trusted him in some of those small ones to trust him in the bigger ones. But that's what I'm talking about. This whole position of most of the time, I'm probably using my noggin pretty good. God made you smart. But there's still that step of acknowledge him anyway. And even if nine times out of ten he says, yeah, you're on the right path, keep going. That once in a while when he says, no, do something different, are we going to be humble enough to A, have asked, have acknowledged him, and then B, follow. All right, God, let's go take path B. See, that's what this is talking about. So go back to Romans. Or maybe you were still there. I'm in Proverbs. Let me go back to Romans. Back to verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind. I'm going to keep saying that. On the things of the Spirit. So we have to learn in everyday life. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. I'm not saying shut off the natural But include your heart. Bring your spirit into the decisions of not necessarily the big things. Everyday life. Bring God into everything you do. Learn to live a lifestyle of including Him and acknowledging Him in everything we're doing all day long. That's going to take some training if you've not done that. And that's normal. But we need to go down that path. Um... Let me keep reading here. Uh, Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, I don't think he's trying to say that if you live your life carnally minded, you're just going to die. Remember that a lot of times, most of the time, if not all the time in Scripture, um, the word death simply means to be separated Um, I've used this example before. Uh, When a person passes away, they don't cease to exist or cease to operate or die. Because we tend to use the word death as it's quit operating. My car died. It ain't running anymore. That's not really what that is. 
I did a funeral yesterday uh, for a lady who had passed away. She's fine. I happen to know. The lady that I did a funeral for yesterday, I know where she's at. She's in heaven with her Savior. Now, her body quit working, but she became separated from that body, and she's good. Now, we committed the body back to the earth where it came from. They were separated. She's now got a new home. And good for her. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. But when we talk about death, it's a separation. So what's, how's that apply here? To be carnally minded is death. It's going to separate you from your own heart, separate you from spiritual guidance. It's going to cause you to be separated from things that you need in order to live a spiritual life. Why are you too carnally minded? He says, go the other way. Be spiritually minded. What will that produce for you? Life and peace. So in this contrast that's going on through this entire chapter, he says, when you go the spirit-led direction, here's two big things that it's going to produce for you. Life and peace. And so I'll say this. Here's two huge things that he will use to lead you. Life and peace. Um, now that word life, it's in the King James it uses an old English word, quickening. Um, and it means to make alive. So life or, or made alive, there is a life on the inside. I kind of almost see it this way. I'm looking to the inside... I'm checking for input from my spirit, from the Holy Spirit, and something in there, can I put it this way, comes alive. Does, does that make sense? You ever had something on the inside of you just come alive? It's a quickening on the inside of you. That's one of the ways he'll lead you. Um, peace is another one. There's, there, there may be, you're at a crossroad, you're trying to get direction from the Lord, and when you think about one direction, you just have an unrest I sometimes call it a check on the inside. But then when you think about this other direction, it's not something you can put in words. Sometimes it's hard to explain, but you just know, I have a piece about that one. And often, that's a way he will lead us. Uh, let me, let me, I'll bring this back. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. But the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then... Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But we don't want to live that right, that, that life. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Now, I do believe that's talking about salvation. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ on the inside of you, it's because you've not been born again. But now, if you've been saved, now we have this option. And look at verse 10. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And now you might say, well, my body's not dead. Um, I'm here, Pastor. What, what do we sometimes say? I'm, I'm upright and taking in nourishment. What's that mean? I'm breathing air and drinking coffee. I'm here. I'm not dead. Well, no, no. Go back to that same context. Your body is separated from God. Your body's not been saved. 
we still run around this earth in fallen flesh. We still have a, a sin nature in the flesh that we have to overcome. That's what that chapter 7 was about. But your spirit's born again. Uh, let me show you another verse and then I'll summarize what I'm trying to say. Second Corinthians 4.16 Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. I think that kind of dovetails in here. This outer man is separated from God, has a sin nature in it, and it's perishing. If Jesus tarries His coming, at some point our bodies are going to fail us, we're going to be separated from them, and we're going home to be with the Lord. Right? There are, to my knowledge, no human beings walking this planet today that are still they're 200 years old, 300 years old. No, no. This body's perishing. It's separated from the Spirit of God. It's not been born again. Now, your spirit has been born again. Okay, what about the third component of you, your soul? That's the part we're working on. Scripture tells you to renew your mind. Um, James called it the saving of the soul. Through by what? By the washing of the water of the Word. Which is actually in the video of the Sunday school lesson this morning. That's what they're talking about. The washing of water by the Word. I know, I'm distracted. But they get to watch they get to watch a little video clip that shows a brain, a mind, and they actually have a Bible pouring water and washing the brain. It's it's this cool little video clip. So anyway, now I'm picturing that because James calls it the washing of water by the word. But they're making it visual for the kids. I love that. We have that that job in this life to take God's word and let it wash our mind and renew our mind. Not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be conformed to the word. So Spirit is completely saved. Body is not saved. Soul, we're working on. It's the saving of the soul. And we do that by the washing of water, by the word. Okay, all that's in there. But go back to verse 10. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life. Some translations say alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, I don't think he's telling us that if you'll just walk close enough with God and get enough of his life in you, that you'll just, your body will live forever. No, I don't see that. But I could see experiences where he would give little injections of life even into your mortal body. And I've seen some other examples of that where your spirit man can be so healthy and strong, it actually will carry your body. There's a verse in the Psalms that talks about that, that a strong spirit will actually add health to your physical body. But a weak spirit won't. It's interesting. That's a little outside of what I'm trying to say, so let's keep reading. Verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Again, separated. You'll be separated from the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that's trying to lead you. But if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So in context, what's one thing he's saying? No matter what our body is doing, no matter what our body is feeling, no matter what mood our body is in, hello, no matter what my body desires to do, Ultimately, I'm not to be led by that. I'm to be led by my spirit. 
Now, there will be many times where the leading of my spirit will agree with what my body thinks we ought to do. And when that happens, life is good. But on the occasion that my spirit gives me something different than what my body wants to do, than what I desire, what I feel like I want to do, what, what I'm in the mood to do, I'm not to be led by those things. I'm to be led by my spirit. I don't make decisions based on what my body's telling me. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That's the Greek word weos. I always point that out. It's, it's, it's sonship. It's maturity. It's the final stage of growth where you are now operating as a son in the kingdom and in the, in the family business. And how do you get to that place of operating in sonship, of maturing? That's what this whole chapter is talking about, learning to be led by the Holy Spirit, even in all the little everyday things we do. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. There's peace in that. Look at verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There's where I want to land this morning. That is the number one way the Holy Spirit will lead you is by that witness. I call it the inward witness because it's not an outward thing. It's in your spirit, but it's the inward witness. Now, that is not the only way He will lead you. It's not the only way He can guide someone. But we're talking about every day. Everyday life. The most dominant or predominant way He will lead you is by the inward witness. And it's not a voice. We're not talking about the inward voice, which is also a way he can speak to your heart, not through these ears, but down on the inside. He can speak to you. But that's even not as common as this. This is just the inward witness. This is what I started talking about a moment ago, so I want to connect them. That, that life and peace, it's a witness on the inside. It's, it's, it's more of a knowing. He didn't necessarily speak to you and say, do path B. But it was more of a, just a witness, a knowing. I need to go down path B. It's more of a knowing. Mm. What, I'm, I, what I'm really trying to separate it from is spectacular. We're not talking about hearing voices. We're not talking about having, having angels show up and help you with your everyday things. I'm talking about a knowing, a witness. Sometimes... As I described a moment ago, you're, you're trying to, you're at a crossroad, you're trying to think of which way to go, and one, you just have an uncomfortableness, but the other one, you have a peace, maybe a velvety feeling. It's just, it's, it's a, it's just a knowing. I can't put it into words, I couldn't tell you why, but I just, I have a knowing that I need to go this way. It's a witness. Are you with me? Um, you look up that word witness, and as strong as it means to testify jointly, or to corroborate, if you look up in the complete word study dictionary, it means to witness another or to testify with. Now this actually brings in a really interesting dynamic of this inward witness. It's not just your own spirit, but it's the Holy Spirit joining with your human spirit, giving you a joint witness. 
um, the Weist translation actually puts it that way. Um, the Weist says, The Spirit Himself is constantly bearing joint testimony with our human spirit. Well, that's interesting. So, He will actually step into agreement with your human spirit, giving a joint witness. That's interesting. <laughs> but all I'm trying to say then is, in our everyday life, are we taking that extra moment to look on the inside? Not just led by external input, but taking a moment to say, Lord, do you have something to say about this? Is there something you're saying to me? And then this, this co-witness thing adds another layer. Here's kind of what I see with that. There may be times where you check on the inside and you get an input from your own human spirit. But if you'll take a moment and wait, you can get a second co-witness from the Holy Spirit. I see that as very important in the bigger decisions. Especially when you know this is a very important decision. Are you taking time to get quiet and wait for a co-witness to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, yeah, I need to go this way? It's interesting. What, what's that going to take? It's that word none of us like. Uh, patience. You're going to have to take some time to wait on the Lord. Spend some time quietly with Him to make sure you've got the direction you know you need. Now, I'm not suggesting maybe that's in all of the everyday little decisions. Don't go sitting at that green light, checking on the inside, waiting for a co-witness, do I drive now? I'm not trying to make this weird and crazy. This is everyday life. But there are times when you can take a moment and wait a little bit. Now, Lord, am I getting this right? And He'll give you a co-witness. Oh, I'm going to give you an example and I'm going to close. So this will be where I stop today. I have, it, it, it kind of fits and it kind of doesn't. I have an example out of my own life that is one of those times I was trying to get a bigger decision. This was one of those life-altering decisions. Um, yet at the same time, he led me all the way to the point of decision where I made a change in life and a redirection and I got all the way to that point of, okay, here's what we're doing and never had anything more than an inward witness. He did not speak to me. He did not write anything on the wall. I had no angels show up, no visions. Nothing but that witness, just that knowing we need to go this way. Now, in the second half, there was something different. And so it's kind of a fun example. It goes to a couple years ago. I was thinking about this this morning. It was almost 20 years ago when uh, we were living in the little house. We didn't have any kids yet, but they were soon to arrive. We didn't have kids yet. And all I can say is, so at this time in my life, married, no kids, I'm working as a youth pastor in this church, but I'm a volunteer, so I'm working a day job on a farm, but I wasn't in the office yet. I was a farmhand, and that was life. And what happened was over a period of, it didn't happen in a day, over a period of time, that peace that I'm talking about left. I don't know how else to explain it. I'm just living life, doing my thing, doing what I do, and being very uncomfortable about it. It, it. Just little by little, I got less and less peace. I started getting uncomfortable. And again, I couldn't put my finger on anything. I didn't have words. I could not point to anything in my life and say, oh, that's making me uncomfortable. Here's my problem. And I'm nothing. But at the same time, I got uncomfortable with my pastor. And nothing I could put my finger on. I was just restless. 
And I talked to him about it. Nothing weird. I, I talked to him about it at that time. If you remember, it was Pastor Brad Dawson. That was my boss when I, in this church. But I was just I was, I was at unrest. I, I, I couldn't put my finger on it. And he, he didn't put his finger on it right away either. We just kind of talked. And then I was restless at work. And I got uncomfortable with that boss. And again, I don't know why. I just wasn't comfortable. And, 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 and I don't want to say I was uncomfortable with my wife, but I just got to where I wasn't comfortable anywhere. And I didn't know why. And so we just started seeking the Lord and praying, Lord, what's going on? Because I, I don't know what's going on. I know that I'm not comfortable with it. I can't tell you why. And as we begin to pray, and I'm talking to both of my bosses, and I'm talking to my wife, and as we're beginning to pray about those things, I, I kind of start begin wondering, am I supposed to go back to school? I'm in my early 30s at this point. We're talking about starting a family. And I'm thinking, is the Lord telling me to go back to college? In the natural, that didn't make sense. That means quitting my full-time job or at least cutting back my hours, which unfortunately reduces income. And here we're trying to, you know, we're talking about starting a family and all these things. And I'm like, well, that don't make any sense, you know. That never made sense. I don't know. It just one of those things. No, it never made sense. But uh, but at the same time, the more we talked about it and the more I prayed about it, and I'm thinking, I I think that's that's where he's leading. So I didn't move quick. We kept praying. And the more I would think about going back to school, I got that peace. And that, that just, it didn't make sense. But it made for peace in me. And so we reached a point where we came to a decision and we were in agreement. I'm going back to college in my early 30s. They called me a non-traditional student. I was actually older than a couple of my professors. It, it scared a couple of them because <laughs> I was older than I looked. And anyway, that's, that's another story for another day. But uh, what was really unique about it was all the way to the point of decision. I had nothing more than that. It was, it was just, it was a knowing. I knew that was the path. I couldn't explain it to you. I couldn't put it in words. I didn't have God say, son, thou needest to go to school. No, nothing. No, 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 no. Yet I knew. And so, and here's where it, it began to shift. We got to all the way to the point of, okay, we're in agreement. This is the plan. This is what we're doing. We're doing it. And all the way up to that point, nothing but inward witness. When we crossed that point, I still remember vividly, we're in, guys, that's why it's that little house on Green Street. We were in that little house. We had this tiny little kitchen. I am sitting on the kitchen counter, leaning back on a wall cabinet. I think you were sitting at the hair station in the dining room, small house. We fit it all in there. And in that moment, when we said, that's what we're doing. I, I want to say it two different ways. I want to say first, I felt all the peace return in a moment. What left me slowly over a period of months returned to me in a second. And not only that, it felt like a weight on me that I didn't even know was there lifted in a moment. And it was so real to me, it felt physical. Like something just physically came off of me and I feel lighter right now. Now, I know that's not the case. There was nothing physical, but it was that real. 
and it was like, whoa. And all the peace was back, and I knew we'd made a right decision. Now, not every time that I'm led by the inner witness do I have that, and I wondered about that for a while, and here's how it played out. At the end of that journey, in the last year of still being in school, a whole lot of things in my world went haywire. And that would have been around the fall of 2006, then on into the spring of 2007, and life got really crazy for me. And there was a lot of things that caused me to begin to question. Hadn't questioned for a while, and all of a sudden I'm beginning to question, am I where I'm supposed to be? There's a whole lot of things that were pressuring me. You're in the wrong place. You need to drop out of school. You need to not finish this. There's a lot of things you need to go deal with. You need to go be the man in your house. You need to go be the whatever. You need to go deal with this. You're in the wrong place. And when I would seek the Lord, he took me back to that moment when everything came back. And he said, I made sure you knew you'd made the right decision. And he said, stay the course. And so I stayed the course. And it was not easy. I wanted to be done. I needed to get back to, I don't know, the real world. And I don't mean that bad. I loved college. It was some of the best years of my life. I'm that guy. I loved it, loved school. And so, yeah. <laughs> one of my daughters gets it, and the other one's going, oh, I don't get that. But, so that was my experience. But all the way to the point of decision and commitment on nothing but, I just had a knowing. But then knowing what was coming then, he gave me that little extra just so that I would not waver. When necessary, he'll do that for you too. It's not always necessary. There's a whole lot of our walk with him when all we need is just that inward witness. We learn to look for that. We learn to trust that. And then when he needs to use more, he will. But the number one way he leads is what that verse right there says. He'll bear witness with your spirit. And he'll lead you by the inward witness. That's what it means to walk in the spirit. Learning to include him in all of that. And trust him. Let him lead. Well, I will stop there. Amen.